You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Mia is here with me, our engineer slash editor. Mia, for those of you who didn't know, is a trans woman, right? Yeah, I would say most of your listeners probably don't know that. Why would they know? They would know. So this is the first time we're telling you. Yeah. Mia is a trans woman. Mm-hmm. She is our engineer. She used to be Tyler. Yeah, people have probably heard me on the show before. Today's guest, Rain Wilson. This guy blew me away. I mean, he stopped me at some point and goes, we're getting deep. Uh, you don't want to talk about Dwight or any of that, right? And he's like, I really like this because we're not, we just got really deep. I think this was really helpful to me. I hope it's helpful to you. Yeah, you guys talked a lot about faith and having a rough childhood and a little bit about The Office. It was a really great episode. I felt that way too. I felt like he just really opened up and he goes, wow. And he took a deep breath and then he would start talking about his father and, and his, his stepmother and things that would happen and the journey along the way. And uh, when he got success, he said, you know, I was a bit of an asshole at some point in my life. I go, wait, wait, what? You? Because he, he, you, know, you don't get that when you're talking to him, right? Yeah, he's just not at all like the characters that he plays on screen. He's just so normal and personable and yeah and great to talk to yeah he was just a a really wonderful interview and i think you're gonna really enjoy getting inside rain wilson it's my point of view you're listening to inside of you with michael rosenbaum inside of you with michael rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience Somebody made that. Some fan made that. Oh, I thought that was from Funko. I wish. That would have meant this podcast is tremendously successful. I mean, it is a success, but tremendous would mean Funko made a pop doll out of me. Is it a pop doll? Is that what it's called? Yeah, they, they're just doing a Dwight one. Really? You got a Dwight? I got a Lex Luthor one, but you have a Dwight yeah, one? Oh, you want to bring that mic closer to Yeah, you. yeah. Okay. You have the craziest guests on here. I mean, most of them make sense, but then you've got like Genie Bus. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> you know, Jeannie and I became friends years ago, and I don't know anything about basketball, and I didn't ever go to a basketball game, and she was a fan of Smallville. And she came up to me and started talking to me at some event, and I yeah. go, oh, cool. She goes, well, if you ever want to come to a game, here's my card. And I go, cool. And then I go, vice president of the Lakers. Now she's the president. Yeah. And so I emailed. I said, hey, you know, you said free- to a game? She goes, you have four tickets in valet. I think that was early 2000s. She said, after the game, she goes, Michael, I'm serious. I had so much fun with you and your friends. You're so fun. You are welcome to come to any game ever, whenever you want. You just... So then Holy slowly we became friends. She came to my Halloween bash. She came to like... She brought Kurt Rambis. Rambis, That's fantastic. Rambis was dressed as Kurt Rambis from the 80s with the goggles and stuff. I've always wondered... I always thought how fun it would be for me to dress as Dwight. Why not? And people would look and be like, is that the, I can't possibly be the, is that the, do you dress up for Halloween? Um, I, you know, I did when we went out with my son, my son is 14 now and, and yeah, there's several years we went one year we went as a vampire family. That was really fun. Oh, that's nice. All three of us were vampires. Where do you go? Do you go around the neighborhood trick or treating with them? We've gone all over, you know, all over. We're, we're out in Agora Hills out in the suburbs, uh, sometimes Calabasas and sometimes Malibu and. Yeah. You got a really sexy voice. Thank you. I'm not hitting on you. I'm just saying when we've met, 
yeah. at various places. I was like, uh, you know, I didn't notice the voice as much as I do now, but it's resonating with the, with the microphone. Maybe you're, are you feeling the sexiness through the mic? I'm getting, I'm getting it a little bit, yeah. Isn't that weird when you get around a mic, you just kind of... It's a little different when you have a mic and then you have the cans on your head, you know, and you hear your voice, so... Do you like your own voice? A little uh, late night DJ. I like, I like my voice, yeah. I actually had a radio show when I was in high school, and I was thinking... This one of the paths of my life could have gone in is like radio DJ. Me too. I was a DJ in college. I had a Sunday night shift from 10 to 2 in the morning and no one listened. So I'd say, hey, if you're the fifth caller, you'll get a six-inch subway, which and I you, would pay for. And no you get one, three calls. <laughs> no, I would end up going, if you're the first caller, <laughs> nobody called. And then I said, okay, that subway goes out to uh, Jerry Nunn, who coincidentally was my roommate yeah. in college. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, but it was fun. I liked, there was something about being alone, but being with the music and having the choice to play what you want. Yeah. Like you're talking to an audience, hoping, hoping some people are really enjoying it. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and it just felt like I thought I might become a DJ. I really considered that or a sports announcer. You could, you could still do this. Could you be a sports announcer? Would you do that? Do you, do you know a lot about sports? Or I know, you- I know a lot. Of, I know a good amount about sports. I know from looking at me and like knowing my life i know a lot more about sports than you would think that i would know right but right, right. mostly nfl but also a little nba so how would you commentate a game if you had like just a moment or two i don't think funny people um should do that remember that failed dennis miller experiment with dennis miller on, on monday night football yeah remember that yeah. it just yeah it just didn't work it did not work and he's, he's a bright guy brilliant guy yeah yeah and but, he, he loves the game and he's super smart and it just didn't fit well, you know what you want, I think, when people listen to a game or they listen to a baseball or a football game, don't you? It's comfort. It's mm-hmm. here's the pitch on the. Is a, that's right. It's just something that's relaxing. Now it's honeydew season, folks. Honeydew this and honeydew that. <laughs> Fans filing in off the subway ramps, a beautiful day for a ball game. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I just want to sit around right. and relax. Yeah. You know? That's a baseball thing. NFL is. A, no, I, I like to watch NFL sometimes with the sound off. Because they just don't shut up, and my wife always talks about that. Like, why don't they ever just stop talking? Like, you don't, you don't have to talk every square inch all the time. But it's just this constant. Like, oh, that was good. God, the bleach is there. You know, the number of things when he was drafted. Blah, blah, blah. You know, time and time again, he's proved that. You know what I mean? It's a constant. <laughs> it um, is. But but don't you think they're thinking? Oh my gosh, it's five seconds since I've spoken. People are going. What's going on? Are they are they going to the bathroom? What are they doing at this? They're going to get bored. <laughs> Are they just justifying their jobs? Like, why am I here if I'm not constantly talking? Yeah, I think so. I think they have. They feel like, especially Joe Buck got a lot of heat, right? You know, yeah. Joe Buck, yeah, people, sure, sure. a lot of hate mails. What was that all about? I don't know. I, I didn't follow the Joe Buck controversy. Yeah, there was a big controversy with him. He was getting yeah. so much hate and he was on Stern and he's just got, yeah, those guys, I think some of them like to, I wonder if that's how they talk when they're at home, you know, like, yeah. Hey, have you seen Johnny? Uh, Johnny's outside, and uh, the garden's just a bit to the right of the home, <laughs> pulling some daisies. I mean, is that a is that a they they don't talk like that? They can't talk like I that. I think they have that ability. They have that ability to just stream sentences together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's part of why they're hired. You you have that ability. That's why you're a podcast host. Yeah, you know that's scary too because my whole life I've been an actor. And, uh, but now you can do things. You were an actor before you were a podcast host? <laughs> podcast artist. Is that what they're called now? Podcast artist. I kind of like that. Yeah. I want to be called an artist. Yeah. I, I still love acting and all that, but there's something about this for me that I never thought I'd like. I, th- there's just something about it that I feel 
I don't know, a connection. I'm able to really listen to people. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't listen in my real life, but it forces you to really listen to people right. and get to know them and see what sort of makes them tick and see how did they... It's just interesting. It be, it's become interesting. At first, I thought it was like, oh, I'm an actor, and hopefully people are going to listen to my thing, and I'll just make an income out of this. It'll be a supplemental. And then I just sort of go, this is fun to talk to people every day. Mm. They come to your house, and you have some water. There's a little uh, there's a little therapy aspect to that's, it. You just nailed it, because that's what it is for me. For yeah. me, it's therapy. It's, it's yeah. kind of like going, hey, if rain's a little effed up, then yeah. maybe it's okay for me to I'm be I'm actually up. going to therapy after this podcast. Is that true? That is absolutely true. My therapist's in the valley. Really? Have you been going a while? I've been going for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I, I have too. And in fact, I've, I've, I've just started saying this, but I'm going to a treatment center. Oh, wow. Yeah, not okay. for alcohol, drugs, or sex or anything, but for just, you know, just to get my mind clear. And, and it's just... A, a, wow. You know, I, yeah, I just, after all these where, years... Where like, is it? Which Can you say? Um, it's on the East Coast, the Upper East Coast. Okay. <laughs> That would be New England. All right. That would be around that Is area. Is it the one that Kit Harrington went to that was like twenty thousand um, dollars a day or something like that? Uh, I couldn't afford that, yeah. but it's it, it could be in podcast money with it, all the podcast it, money it, rolling it, it, in. Yeah. Well, but uh, listen, but is it like a meditation thing? Or like I think it's, it's I think it's a combination of the world's best psychiatrists and therapists and yoga teachers yeah. and chiros and acupuncture and. I went to a place like that. Where. Uh, I went to Upper place. West Coast, was it? No, I went to, I'll, I'll say the name of it because it's really cool. It's called PCS in uh, Scottsdale. And they do all kinds of intensives. It's like you go 12 hours a day, you're in group and you're, and you're single. And they have a lot of different people with addictions there. So they have people that are getting alcohol treatment and drug treatment and sex addiction treatment and, um, and, you know, all kinds of different codependent stuff. But then there's just people that are just digging into issues, you know, and I was kind of, I was kind of in that realm, just kind of digging into some deeper issues. Like like you said, like family stuff and um, just clearing my head stuff and getting to the bottom of, of some stuff. And it was, it was really cool. I'm going to a place called Privé Swiss. And it it is the I believe it's probably the place that Kit went to. I don't know. That sounds fancy, but it's, you know what it is? It is uh, a couple of friends, people have mentioned it, and they're like, listen, I think you'd truly benefit from it. Yeah. And I, I figure, like, if you're going to invest in a house or if you're going to invest in um, material things or certain, you know, you're going to spend money. Why not spend money on your well-being? Listen, especially if you come from a fucked up family and you didn't gain <laughs> certain do. life skills. Like, I didn't learn about how to do interpersonal relationships from my parents who are terrible at them. Yes, so me too. I've had to kind of like learn myself and I've got a lot of bad habits and patterns that come from childhood traumas and, and whatnot. And why not spend like one hour a week? Like what's the big deal? It's one hour a week and you know, a hundred bucks, I'm 1100 bucks or something like that. But to improve myself, to learn about myself, to, to dive deep into my, emotions and trauma and background and family and current relationships and relationship to work and career and self-image and my spiritual journey and life journey. So it's a, it's an investment that's way more important than going to the gym. Yes. But people will always pay the whatever money for trainers and going to the Isn't gym. Isn't that something? Yeah. But they won't work out their mind. Yeah. 
It's like, no, I'm fine as long as they look good. And their hearts and their souls, you know. I think that's true. I just was listening to uh, an interview with Howard Stern, Anderson Cooper on CNN. Hmm, I didn't hear that he one. He interviewed Howard Stern, and, and Howard Stern started talking about psychotherapy and how it's really saved his life. Yeah. And he talks about trauma and, like, all these things. And it's not that his parents were so horrible. It was more like he always wanted to... Um, get approval from his father. Yeah. His father worked in radio, and he was just like, "Oh God, he works in radio." If I, and I, he saw how he reacted to radio hosts, and he's and and he was sort of enamored by them. And he goes, "Wow, if I could do this, maybe he would give me that respect or that approval that I need." And and it's something that seems so like for a long time, I felt like I can't do this because. You know, people are going to think I'm crazy or I'm this. And I'm, a, I'm an adult now. Get over it, dude. Forgive people. And I go, I do. I forgive. I forgive my dad. I love my dad. I, I forgive my mom. She's insane. In my head, I forgive because I know that that's the way to do it. It doesn't solve it. It's like sometimes my mind and my body don't connect. My mind is, is somewhat fairly on the lower end of sophisticated. <laughs> we'll say, dude. You're an adult now. This is the right thing to do. You need to do it. But my body reacts in a different way, whether it's fight or flight and the stress levels. And I came to a place where I'm like, I'm too stressed all the time. I wake up with anxiety. I'm worrying about too many things. My head's cloudy. I can't compartmentalize. I can't do all these things. So I'm like, I just, I need somebody to fucking help me. I need, I need, right now is the time because I want to be the best human being and the best, maybe the best actor, the best podcast artist, whatever it is, I can be. So why the hell not? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. This guy that I've been going to now for uh, quite a few years uh, down in the valley, he does this gestalt therapy, which is, I don't know a whole lot about what, I haven't like read books about it or anything, but I know that that's what it's called, what he does. But it's actually really interesting for actors because what he'll do is like if there's some issue, like let's say there's a part of myself that's really belittling. Like I'm just like, oh, Rain, you fucked that up and you're such an idiot and you'll never make it and you, no one respects you. Whatever, like let's say that voice is coming up and I'll talk about that in therapy. And he'll say, oh, who is that guy? Sit him down in the chair across from you. Now have a conversation with him, with that person that's in your head. Literally. So I'll say, you know, like, hey, who are you? Why do you beat me up like this? What, you know, I'm doing a piss poor job of him, but, you know, I'll talk to him and then I'll go sit and he'll go, no, go be that guy. Go sit in the chair and talk to you. And then I'll go sit in the you chair. You mean respond, respond to what respond you were just saying. As, as that voice in your oh head. Oh my God, that, that seems so. So then I'll go sit in the chair and I'll be like, rain, you little pussy piece of shit. What the fuck are you doing, you you loser, you fucking belittle? And he'll be just like belittle me, and then I'll go back and I'll switch again, and I'll be rain, and I'll talk to this guy and be like, you can't talk to me that way, blah blah blah. And then after you do that, like six, eight times switching, and then you kind of like you feel done or whatever. Sometimes it's emotionally cathartic. Sometimes it's not. Like you have a much greater understanding of like who is that voice in your head and what's my relationship to that voice in your head. So it it doesn't own you. That voice doesn't own you. You see it as just a part of yourself. But what if you're going, what if your response is, you're absolutely right? <laughs> Everything you just then, said is exactly got, right. Then you got some serious work to do. <laughs> what yeah. if you're like, yeah, then you're I'm being, a pussy. Then you're being victimized by this voice in your head and you're just lit, you're living as a victim and you, you've got to do some other kind of work to get at that. And you feel like this really was cathartic. It was helpful to you. I've done it. 
I've done it dozens and of times. And is it weird the first time in front of this person? It's so weird. You're like, I, I can't do this. It's I, so self-conscious. Th- you feel like such a, a, a... You can also do it by writing, by the way. You can just do it in a journal and you can be yourself and write and then be the character and write and and then you can do that and, and bring it can in. Can you do it, it alone? Can I do it like when I'm when no one's around except my assistant in the other room? And I'm like, Michael, you're such a fucking idiot. And then, no, you're not. Why don't we do it right now, Michael? What are you afraid of? Oh, my God. I, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I don't think I could do no, it. It's, it's hard, but here's the deal. You get to a certain point where he's like, I'm so fucking tired of these voices in my head owning me. Like, you'll just do it. You'll just be like, fuck it. I'm just going to fucking do it. Yeah. I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to feel so self-conscious. You get a greater peace and understanding of yourself on the other side. You're like, okay, this is humiliating and weird and uncomfortable, but I'm just going to do it because I know that what's on the other side is a greater tranquility and wisdom. Wow. That's profound. And I haven't heard that before, that sort of thing, but maybe that's what I'll be doing at this place. And I feel like, you know, I have a lot of, you know, I've had surgery and stuff and I have this pain and things and I'm wondering how much could be emotional. Did you ever have any kind of pain? Did you ever deal with any pain? I, I haven't dealt with that. No. I'm sorry. Okay. I feel bad. I know you've had these. Well, thanks I've heard, for being here. I've heard you had these surgeries and that you've you've been through some some shit. Some so. shit. But, you know, I'm still able to do, like. You look great, thanks. by the way. You look like you're chipper. You're sharp. You're you're handsomer than ever. And uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Switch seats with me now. You have great teeth, by the way. By the way, these are these are knocked out kind of from hockey injuries. So I got oh, these. Well, you know what's funny? They're falsies. Okay. Well, just these top ones. But okay. um, my um, manager once, Dave Becky, who represented a lot of the big guys. Know back in, you know Dave? Yeah. And this is back in the day when he represented like Mark Marin. I think he still does what. But this was early on in New York. Like I was the only actor and there was like five uh, five big comedians. And I remember he said to me, because I was on the show, he was like, I had these like fangs because I got punched in the face. And so these two middle ones were in and the fangs were kind of out. He said, uh, I want you to fix your teeth. And I go, What? He's like, I just think you're going to get bigger roles and you'll, it will help you. I think you're a character actor right now and you can still do that. But I think if you want some lead roles and you want to be considered as this, I think you should get them fixed. And I got a retainer and it straightened my teeth out. Yeah. And I booked a lead part like within like six months. Look at that. And so that was actually good advice, you know? Yeah. Where I don't even know where that story came from. Why I said it, do you I, know? I I have no idea. Oh, because we were talking about my teeth, but that's the, why the, that that's... you look good. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I no, I got my teeth. I got my teeth fixed too. Let me see your of... smile. They're it's great. Not... They're good teeth. Yeah, they're they're okay. Why? Should have sit in the chair. But I had. <laughs> Who's that voice? <laughs> Who's that, that says, voice? Telling your you? teeth are just okay. <laughs> Rain, your teeth suck. No, they don't. <laughs> they're straight. They're almost perfectly white. <laughs> Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got Rocket Money. <laughs> I, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. 
before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside. You just said that you lost your dog. Yeah. And it was yesterday you yesterday. had to put your dog down. And, you know, I'm sitting here with an 11-year-old dog who I'm starting to think that and feel that and... And I'm like, why is he here? Oh my gosh, how did he, how did he, how was he able to manage? I, I would have c- completely understood if you said, hey, Rosie, I can't do it. Michael, I can't come over. I, I just lost my dog. Are you, is it is something, do you like to keep busy so you don't dwell on those things? Is that sort of? So this is a great topic. And I think it's a really underexplored topic. So our dog was 16 years old and we had the vets come and put her down in our yard. And we had a ceremony for her. And 16 for a pit bull is like ancient and everything was falling apart about her. She was incontinent. She could, she would fall down. She was not able to pick herself up. So sometimes we just find her by the water bowl and we don't know if she was there 10 minutes or an hour. She was on pain meds, had been for the last year. And you come to a certain point of like, 
well, when is this time? You know, she's just every week she's getting worse. Every time you get a dog, it's an emotional time bomb of, you know, 12 to 15 years. At some point that bomb is going to go off. And it's like, it's a much larger discussion just about the miracle of life and the cycle of life and that things come into existence and things that I'm thinking about my own mortality. I'm 53 years old. You know, I am more than halfway through my life. I'm not, I can't, I don't have that kind of standard. It's, it's about mortality and like what the world is about. So, you know, I wept, I wept my eyes out. I was there with my wife. We held each other. We cried. We wrote poetry to her. We wrote things. My son wrote a haiku for the dog. And we, oh. we you know, we, we prayed and kind of meditated with her in the garden and just gave her flank steak from Whole Foods, you know, and just, we had a beautiful ceremony. And I guess why I'm here is because I grieved. I was able to cry and really grieve. We knew it had been coming and it was coming for months in advance. So we were prepared. And also because I believe that things die and especially animals. And if you go to a farm or just watch a nature show, like right now, Michael, animals are dying all over the planet. People. Animals and people, everyone things are goes. just dying and things are getting born, yeah, all the fucking time. And it's and it's and it's beautiful and it's scary and it's part of the miracle of being alive. Well, you said something also right before we started filming where you, you were talking about like people sometimes they just keep they want to do everything to keep that animal yeah. alive and how it's sort of selfish in a way. It is selfish. They're they have a the dogs on a catheter and has an IV for diabetes and they're giving radiation treatments and like i took my dog in for its sixth five thousand dollar radiation treatment you know and it's and it's like guys guys let let it let it go and take that money and and rescue other pets you know yeah. or give it to a dog rescue organization or you know instead of spending that thirty thousand dollars to keep your your dog alive and it's if they're in pain and great discomfort then it's um then it's time to let them go and i just noticed on your shelf that you have the dummies guide to judaism <laughs> yeah and you know i'm so dumb <laughs> judaism for dummies have yeah. you even read it no that's how even, dumb i am i couldn't you, even read it you even you haven't even read well look right next to it dummies on religion i i, I like i probably read about 20 pages on the shitter but that was and there's a jew in america too you know inadvertently i put a jew in america book right in between <laughs> the the judaism for dummies and religion Dummies. I've read a lot of these books, believe it or not, mostly history books. Yeah. But uh, I don't know a lot about religion. I was just talking about that. I was like, you know, I'd like to learn a little bit more about religion. I have friends. I have close friends who are Mormons, who are Catholic, who are Jewish, who are call themselves atheist or agnostic. And, yep. you know, and that's an interesting topic because you are part of uh, a religion, right? Yes, it's, I am. It's, how do you pronounce it? Baha'i. Baha'i. Yeah. And I just, I read a little bit about it and yeah. it just seems like, I could be wrong because I don't know a lot about it, but it just seems like it's almost everything combined in a way. Yeah, it's, a, it's sort of like, it's a, nothing's wrong. No religion is wrong. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. There's, a, there's certainly more to it than that. But um, yeah, the Baha'i faith believes in the essential divinity of all of the world's major religions. So that all of these divine teachers have been sent by God to give man a gradually unfolding spiritual lesson plan, whether it's, you know, Krishna or the Buddha or Moses or Abraham or Jesus and Muhammad, that they're all from one God and giving different messages at different points in time around the world. 
and Baha'is also believe that a, a new dude came down. His name is Baha'u'llah, which is a title that means the glory of God. And Baha'u'llah came in, in Persia in the mid-1800s, so Baha'is are also followers of Baha'u'llah. But we also at Baha'i meetings, we'll read from the Bible, we'll read from the New and Old Testament, from the Quran, from the Bhagavad Gita, you know, and we believe in all of these So it's sort of a culmination of all these things. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, but is it still a monotheistic? Monotheistic, yeah. Right. One God and this God. And it's, you know, and, you know, God gets a bad name. I actually have been pitching a TV show that I think has just been turned down everywhere around town called The Notorious G.O.D., <laughs> uh, where I want to kind of do my own exploration of like what God is. It's like, okay, because everyone's like, oh, I don't believe in God. But then if you talk to them, they're like, they they definitely believe in something more than just physical molecules. They just don't believe in an old white guy on a beard who's really judgmental, scowling down and shooting lightning bolts and, you <laughs> right, know, right. It, that kind of God. So in the modern world, we, can, we need a new definition or a new understanding of what divinity is or what sacred is and what spiritual is and what the soul is. You know, it's, we have to reject these kind of these old, really limited kind of tropes around those ideas. Yeah, and I, and I know what I do not like, what I do not like is when people say, well, I'm going to, you know, I follow Jesus and I do all these things because I want to go to heaven. Right. Instead of, you know, oh, so you... So you don't want to do, you want to do it just because you want to go to heaven. That's why you believe in this as opposed to right. sort of having an understanding and a feeling of faith or, Hey, we're all created by something like this microphone is somebody created that, you know, and I believe in all evolution, obviously, and the big bang theory, a and, guy named and, Keith in Dayton, Ohio created this microphone. <laughs> there you go. Something can't come from nothing. I don't know. So I went through an atheist phase when I kind of, I grew up Baha'i and I rejected it for a long time and was in a, just doing my own thing in New York City and was in an atheist phase. And, but then at the end of the day, like when I would really deeply think about being an atheist, like, okay, so 14 billion years ago, there was a speck and that speck exploded and made all energy, matter and molecules. And then solar systems and, and galaxies were created and then single cell organisms. And, and then, two. and then all of this stuff was created, but there's no purpose or meaning or anything behind it. It just is. It just happened. It just, Hey, shit happens. And then I think about myself, like I'm just an animal, just like dear sweet Una, who we put down the other day and I'm just having my experience. And then I'm going to die and my consciousness will just disappear forever. And it doesn't make any sense to me at the end of the day for me, that worldview, that universe view. And it, there are people who absolutely it makes sense to them. But sure. for me, it doesn't, my life experience of going through the world is emotional and spiritual and physical and psychological. And, you know, I feel connectivity and I listen and I have experiences and I gain wisdom and Mine isn't just kind of like, oh, I'm this kind of bio robot in this purposeless right. universe. And there's something nice about looking at something and going, somebody created that's 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 faith right there. That's that come on. Yeah. What's that right there? That's sunset. That's just so beautiful. And then people will argue the whole thing. Well, there's a lot of reasons why people do it. And I have friends who are atheists and they'll just say, I just don't believe, I don't believe this. I go, it's nice to think that there is something bigger than all of us. Well, not to mention that I believe that And remember, I haven't read the Idiot's Guide to Judaism. I haven't read it, so I don't know what I'm talking about. It's just a feeling. All right. 
But if I if I made the show the Notorious God, you'd right. watch it though. Damn right I would. Yeah, absolutely. Event television because you'd explore like those. Game of Thrones. You would turn it on when it was on the TV. So if someone dies, everyone's expendable. I don't know what that means. I mean, in the Game of Thrones, every character dies. Oh, that's true. Much. Yeah. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Oh, of course. Did yeah. you love it? Loved it. Yeah. I, I I loved it. I'm not one of those cynics that are like. You know, I didn't dissect it like everyone else did. I just felt like this is a major motion picture every week, and I'm really enjoying it. Until yeah. the final episode, I just I was like, boy, they, what, what what just happened? Yeah. That's how I, I think a lot of people felt like that. And I'm not that critical. Like, I'll say Breaking Bad. Oh, I love the ending. What a great ending. I had some issues with the last season. The it was rushed. It felt people. rushed. It felt rushed. It just feels like, and I because I think the showrunners were kind of like, oh, we want to get on to our next gig. Yeah. Let's, how can we? tie this up i mean they defeated the night king in one episode like that took one episode like let's have a big battle and then he'll get stabbed and then we're done okay let's on on to cersei and then Jon snow just kills daenerys like that and the yeah. and the dragon flies off to fucks off to nowhere yeah. and then Arya's like i'm gonna go head out to the western whatever the hell i'm going and then this yeah. dude that i've never seen is standing up talking and and, and that was one of the amazing <laughs> things about some of the early mid seasons is like stuff was slow and it took a long time yeah what about the faceless uh, yeah. Arya with that what happened with that yeah it never you thought she was gonna come back and end up killing someone pretending she's someone else what was that season for then? That was my pitch for for Game of Thrones is that one of the White Walkers is there and kind of walks forward and is nodding his, his grizzled, weird head. And then all of a sudden yes. pulls off and it's Arya and stabs the Night King because beautiful, like, beautiful, you know, that would right? have been a little better. But yeah, it was it was just rushed. There were some great moments in it. There were some beautiful uh, images, but it was a little rushed. Yeah. You had a you had a pretty good childhood or or no? At three to five years old, you already had a stepmom. Your parents were already divorced at a young age, right? My mom took off uh, and when I was about two, two and a half years old. So what I do you mean took off, like well, was gone. It's a it's a weird story. Are you up for a weird story? I'm always up for a okay. weird story. So she left me and I went with my dad, and I never knew why they got a divorce. And I would and I didn't really see her again until I was about fifteen. And once or twice she came by and visited. But I would always say to my dad, like, why did you guys get a divorce? And my dad was all, he's, he's very kind of airy-fairy. And he's kind of like, well, I don't know. We just went our separate ways, I guess. I was like, what does that mean? Like, there's no grit there. There's no specifics. What the fuck? And when I started acting in high school, my dad was always weird about it. He was always very supportive of me being an artist of some kind. But when I started acting, he was just, he, you could just tell he wasn't completely all in to me being an actor. So, and I was like, what the hell's going on? So then I talked to my mom and, and, she, and I, she said, you mean your dad never told you? And I was like, no, he never said. And she said, well, I was an actress in Seattle in the late 60s and I was doing a play and I had an affair with the theater director and I left your dad for the theater director. So a lot of weird things kind of come together from that story. Like, A, why I'm an actor. I, I didn't even know that she had been an actress and I was wow. drawn to acting. So there's a, obviously some kind of genetic component there. Do you, have, do you have a parent that was an actor or something like that? My mom did repertory theater. Okay. And she, I, I, yeah. But my dad definitely 
did not want me to do that. I was the antithesis of him, and he I could tell he didn't like it. I wasn't, you know, book smart. I didn't get high score in SATs. I wasn't like so cerebral and and I just felt that I was I just was not the kind of son he wanted. That's how I felt. Yeah. Completely. And of course he's looking at me with of course disdain for my mother because they eventually, you know, when she oh. sort of emasculated him because she was always flirting with other men and probably having affairs perhaps. Wow. She denies vehemently denies but my father i think then looked at that like oh now i have a son who's a little bit like his mother when it comes to sort of not she's ostentatious i wasn't ostentatious but i was very extroverted and weird and all over the place and he was reserved and it was like how the fuck did i do this i go well i'll tell you it starts out with all the acid and the drugs you used back in the 60s i don't know i just channeled chris farley but i do that occasionally (laughs) i I think he was looking at me i remember after i did a play once in high school i told this story but he you know we were at denny's and I was like, I'm going to be an actor. He's like, eat your steak. And it was just like, you know, he just, he it just, he just, you know, I remember going, hey, I'm doing this independent movie. So it's not a real movie. Oh, what do you mean? Well, it's an independent movie. Who's in it? Well, there's up and comers, up and comers. I'm doing a movie. I'm doing the short film. Why yeah. is it short? A real movie's long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like, dad, I scored three goals in the hockey game. And it was a weak goalie. I mean, there, there were all these things that, but like, like, again, like my dad was reserved. He was quiet. He had... You know, he took on my mom with two kids from her first marriage when he was 18. I do forgive. I do. But back to the actress thing. So I think there, there's some similarities where he, I didn't realize it was like, oh, he's an actor. He wants to be an actor like his mother who's all over. Maybe there was this slight comparison. I don't know. But she did she have an affair with the. Uh... Yeah, she had an affair with the theater director right, right. and then took off with him. And then my dad was heartbroken and he had me this big ungainly infant. But he didn't tell you about it. He never told me my entire life, which I have a lot of respect for because you always hear about people getting divorces and just like bad mouthing each other constantly. Like your mom's a blah, 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 whore and your dad's an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And he always used to do that. And you always hear this, the kids getting put in the middle and just hearing the worst about their parents. He never said a bad word about her. Never. Never one. No. See, that's all I've dealt with my whole life is... Your father's a piece of shit, and I did this, and then, then you're, oh, your crazy mother, and you're the. And sometimes in the past, like you'd almost let them go and side for a second on both sides, and you're like, "What am I doing? This is unhealthy." So now I have a thing where I'm like, "You know what, Dad? Can't talk about mom, mom, mom. mom you can't talk about that's dad. good, good for you, you. Just can't do that. You can't. T- also, mom, you can't talk about your daughter who t- uh, doesn't talk to you anymore. You can't talk about your son who doesn't talk to you anymore. You can't talk about all these people that I do talk to, and I." You know, and and you know, the, is that hard to keep that boundary? It, it's hard, and it's also draining. And you know, she's like a child. She, you know, I, I think like, I think, I'm why, sure I have a rest. Why don't of you have her on this? Because podcast. it would be, you know, you know why? <laughs> Do you know why she just came here? And I thought about that, and I thought I'm not, I'm not willing to do that yet. I'm not at the point where I am. I'm vulnerable. I can be vulnerable. I can be. Look, I want to surrender. I want to go to this place and surrender all my fears, all my things, and just like fucking, I'm malleable. Just fucking help me, and I'm ready to change. But I got to tell you something. This is something that's, I don't know if you dealt with, but it sounds like you didn't. But my mother and my father, I love them. If something happened, I'd feel horrible. I, you know, but I don't trust them. I don't believe when they're telling me something immediately my brother and I look at each other like that might've been 50% true. Like it's almost like everything is just not only exaggerated. Yeah. I swear to God, I asked them both. 
how did you meet? Something that should have been just easy for yeah, them. Sure. Slam two dunk answer. Completely other sides of the spectrum stories. Wow. One, your father asked me for my number from the car when we're driving down the Long Island Expressway, and I yelled it, and he remembered it, and he called me. And the other one is she forced me to get her number. I took it, and I threw it away. I threw it out the window. And then I remember driving to a gas station, and we're there later that night at 2 in the morning with my friends. And who strolls in? Your mother pulls in. She's like, hey, you still have my number? She's like, and he's like, no. So she wrote it on my hand. I, she wrote it, carved it in my hand. <laughs> and that night I went to bed and I woke up and I showered and I tried to scrub off oh my the number. God. I tried and it wouldn't come off. The number wouldn't come. So I waited and I finally said, you know what? I'll fucking call her. <laughs> Rain, I'm on everything I own. These are the two stories that they come up That's with. And I'm like, amazing. Amazing. But it's like, God damn it. You can't even be honest yeah. about how you fucking met. The unreliable narrator. Yeah. So, but they didn't. But they didn't lie to you. Your parents. They were always pretty honest with you, except for telling you about your mom had an affair. But maybe he was trying to protect you. Didn't listen, want you to. How, how deep are we going to go here? And listen, this is what I do, man. This is if you're willing. Like some some people come and like I don't want to talk about that. I remember I had one guest where they uh, gave me the little cut cut the throat thing. Like don't yeah. talk about that. Yeah. I go oh so anyway, and I jumped to something else. Or they call me back and say, hey, I could you edit that? And I'm like yeah sure. Yeah, you know well, like, it's tough because my parents are all alive, and you know my dad and my stepmom who kind of raised me and my natural mother, and I don't think they're going to be listening to this, but you know. Who the well, thank knows? you. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and I wrote a book called The Bassoon King, yes. like this memoir. And I talk a little bit about it in there. and Because you played the bassoon and clarinet. And saxophone. And saxophone yeah, and everything nerdy, in high school. Yeah. So that's kind of a play on that, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot. It's in a lot of ways I had a really ideal childhood. You know, when it boils down to this, like, so my dad and my stepmom, she would make dinner. My dad was at work. He would come home from work. We would eat dinner together. We would talk about the day. We would watch MASH on television. Amazing. And... You know, and we would, I would goof around and make them laugh. And then, you know, they would buy me new school clothes for September. And then I would go to bed and it was like really normal. And we lived in a house in suburban Seattle and it was like normal. But really, when I look back on it, there was no love in that house. They didn't, they didn't love each other. They stayed married kind of for me, my dad and my stepmom. I asked them both when I was writing the book, I said, when did you know that you didn't love each other and that the marriage was a mistake. And they were all like, oh, within a year of when we were married in 1969. Um, and you were born in 66. Yeah. Right. So I was like, and then they got divorced in 84. Like the second I went away to college, they got divorced. I, mean, I literally was like, okay, bye mom. Bye dad. Going to college. See you son. See you later. Then like by Thanksgiving, they were divorced. So they just literally stayed together for, for some semblance of thinking that this would be good for me to grow up in a fucking loveless household, you know, in a just a house devoid of love and affection and hugs and laughter. And that will fuck you up in some ways worse than getting like hit. Because if you get like beaten by a bad adult person, they're the villain and they're the bad person. And it's really clear. But when you grow up kind of in this like loveless Petri dish of the suburbs, it's you get warped in weird ways and you don't, you don't understand like what that is. is so profound. On. That is so profound, especially for me, because that's what they always said. My dad would go, 
I go, well, then why would you stay in the marriage? Why, why did you do that? For you kids. Fuck you. I didn't want that. It was such a passive aggressive relationship. Like I look back and I'm like, my mother was like, Mark, how do I look? You look great. And it just goes right through. She doesn't, it does, it's not sustained. It's like, am I pretty? Am I smart? Uh, how's my writing? Am I great? Am I great? And my That's dad, so funny. my dad became, oh yeah. He went from, I love you. You're beautiful to, oh yeah, you're so great, Julie. Everybody loves you. Oh yeah, you're such a great writer. Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden the kids, we, we, we'd almost join in like, oh yeah, she's a, and it was almost this fucked up dysfunctional. Wow. And they would always talk about the other families in the neighborhood and like, oh, the Cutters, they're fucked up. And she's having an affair with Mr. Hoffman across the way. Yeah. And so and so. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, my parents are so smart. And then one day I go, where are the fucked up ones? Uh, we're the most fucked up. Yeah. We are the most dysfunctional. And again, this is not me talking shit. This is just the reality that I lived in. And I think they both are aware of it. And I think, you know, I look back and I go, dad tried. He did try hard. He worked his ass off. I think my mother has arrested development. I don't think she went past 16 years old mentality to this day at 71 years old. My assistant Jess goes, oh my God, Michael. I go, what? She goes, I, I, I know what you're going through. I go, what do you mean you know what I'm going through? I just, I talked. To your mother, it's like she's still a 16-year-old girl. Wow. And I, yeah, it's fucked. So uh, yeah, go ahead. That's really great. They, they, so many bells are going off as you're talking. Like, first of all, for my wife and I, because we both come from pretty fucked up family situations, we always call it like the love sieve. It's funny that you use a colander because her and I, like, you know, I can say every day, I love you. You're so beautiful. I, you know, you're, you're the light of my life. I love you. And the next day she's like, I don't even think you love me. I was like, wait, I just told you eight days in a row that I did. And she goes, I know. And we joke about it. And I'll do the same thing, by the way. And we'll joke about it that we're this love sieve. Like we give love, but it just drains right out. You know what I mean? So because we're so flawed that we have to just, it has to be a daily practice of giving love before it's believed. That's one thing. The other thing is. Is that something you could work on? Do you work on that? Or is it something that's just party that you're just like, I know that's who, how she is. That's how yeah, I am. I think it can get better, but I don't think it can 100% heal. I think it can get better. You know, you can get better at, you know, developing trust and, and like, oh, I am, I am loved and I do love and, you know, that that's there. But what's interesting is like going back to PCS, that, that place that I went in for a week-long therapy retreat thing, I had brought my parents in to do some work with them and they were willing to come in. God bless them. They came in in their early 70s to do some therapy with me. They weren't there the whole week, but they did some therapy. One of the things I remember growing up was like my stepmom had a rage problem. So she would sometimes like just blow her stack over something tiny, like literally like I left a dirty sponge in the sink. I remember one time like it had grease on it or something like that. And she lost and she would like break dishes in the sink and storm off and slam the door and just be like, mm -hmm. ah, scream and, and this big tantrum. And I was, you know, nine or 10, I'm look, looking around like, what, okay, what do I do here with this information? And I feel so strange. And my dad would go, oh, what a beautiful day it is. Look at that bird on that branch. Hmm. Isn't that tree beautiful? And so I was like nine or 10 going like, what, what the, the fuck, fuck is going on yeah, here? Did, did you not, how, how can you do it? And, and I asked him when I was in the therapy room with him, I was like, dad, do you remember this happening? And he goes, oh my God. My dad, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a good hearted dude. Uh, and, 
but he has like the worst childhood of all time. Like he suffered so much and his, he was his, his mom died when he was a little kid in a tuberculosis farm. And his dad was a total drunk and would take off and leave him with the neighbors. And like, he was beaten by a really mean stepmom and, and they were, he would get like almost starving. They had like go beg to the neighbors for food. I mean, it was really, really bad. And he goes, when I was a kid and things would get really, really bad emotionally, I would look out the window and I would find something really beautiful. What? And I would comment on it to myself. I would Who would tell like, him to do that? He just did it as a defense mechanism for himself, as a survival instinct to kind of look for something good. Like, oh, isn't that tree beautiful? Or isn't it a beautiful day? Or isn't the, the sky oh my beautiful? God. And so he, he had this revelation. He's like, oh my God, that's what I did when I was a kid. And I was like, well, you did that same thing whenever Kristen was having a, a meltdown and- and I said, that was so fucked up for me because what I needed you to say is like, hey, your mom is really, really angry right now. How, how are you feeling? How are you taking that in? I'm going to go speak to her about this. And that's not an appropriate way to use anger. And let's all have a family meeting and talk about anger and what are productive ways to be angry that aren't destructive. And, you know, that's what I needed. Parenting, you know, yeah. parenting. So you, did you th do you feel like, you know, even though you, you say your father's a good guy, which he sounds like a great guy, do you think inadvertently there's obviously there was resentment? Like, sure. why don't you fucking help me? Why don't you oh, do yeah. something? I look, my, my parents won't listen to this. I told my father not to listen to my show. Yeah. I just said, listen, you know, you don't listen. You don't need to listen to it. I, I'm very honest and very open. Yeah. And, and the reality is I don't want to, you know, embarrass him. And I don't think like he's, I, I really believe lately he turned over a new leaf. I really feel like, you know, he, he, he suffered. He, he had a, a daughter who was born with a chromosomal uh, defect in her, in his second, last marriage. Mm -hmm. And, She's almost died a hundred times. She will, the, the oldest, she has a thing called trisomy 13, I believe, where the, I even got her name tattooed on my arm for mm. him, for mm. him to say, hey, look, I, I'm here. I love you. Just, just something. But like, I, he's been through a lot and his, his daughter still lives in a, you know, in a, in a children's hospital. She can't survive without it. And she, the, the oldest living survivor was someone with this disease is 20 or 19. So, oh. and she can't talk, she can't walk, she can't, you know, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's heartbreaking. And he, and, the, and she's 14 years old. Yeah. And so I know he's been through a lot, but, um, I, I always but make let's it, fuck him up. Let's fuck him <laughs> up, man. But I think you know it, the thing is like it's it, just because you suffered. Like I'm, I'm, I feel so sorry for that. But that doesn't that should make me go. Oh, you know what? Everything you did, everything that happened, it's fine. It's all I'm good. And I do forgive. I just have to work that shit out because. Well, here's the thing, you because you brought this up before. Like intellectually, I forgive my parents. In my heart, I love my parents. Yep. That doesn't mean that I have completely processed all of the fears, resentments, and trauma and issues, because uh, I think that those things are in your body and they need to get processed and they need to get worked out. Yeah. So I, I love my dad. I call him every week. We have really nice talks. He's an he's an artist. He's a sensitive and a kind man. And at the same time, in some ways, he was the world's best father. He was always there for me. He came to my games. He would come to my plays. Yeah, he. Yeah. You know, he was loving, um, he was solid, he he paid the rent, and in some ways he was the worst dad, and he was checked out, and he didn't really hug me, and he was not emotionally available, and we never really completely, like, bonded. But as I understand his trauma of his childhood, I totally get where he was coming from. Yeah. You know, you so. Yeah, and everything you said makes, again, 
Wow, you're just ringing bells here today, dude. Just like uh, alarms are going off. I'm so glad we're talking about this and not like, what was it like playing Dwight? (laughs) We really haven't even gotten to that. (laughs) Yeah, that's coming next, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's coming. Uh, No, this is just, to me, this is more interesting. This is is like Rain Wilson's extremely successful and he's had a, a great career and he's happily married and he has pigs and dogs and all these things. But you know what? He's gone through some shit too, just yeah. like you. He's not like perfect, and you know he didn't. And I think that's like sort of breaking those walls down where people who are listening and dealing with anything can kind of go, "Oh wow," and it could help them in yeah. any in any kind of way. And that's what's most important to me. And that to me provides you know gives me purpose. Yeah, and that's um, a great service. You know, and and look, the things you were saying is like I remember my dad coached my hockey team, and I remember my dad, you know, uh, came to games, and he there there were those things, but mm-hmm. there were also those other things that you know, no one's perfect, but I, you know, I, I never got the I love you, I'm proud of you, you're smart. You're, it, I, it was always the converse. It was always, mm-hmm. you know, it's like how could you not understand this? And I don't think he even. But isn't, knew. isn't this? I know it's kind of a cliche, but isn't it like that's why you became successful in a weird it way? It is. Like if maybe absolutely, if your dad had said, "Michael, I'm so proud of you," that you'd be a, a junior high Spanish teacher, you know, Bienvenidos in, in Dix Hills, uh, Hills, Long Island. You know what I mean? Nothing wrong with Spanish teachers from Dix Hills, Long Island, but that might be your life as opposed to you really pushed yourself and have driven yourself to, you know, be an actor and produce and write and do comedy. And absolutely. I, and I give, you know, I, I do give credit to, I like, I wanted to get out. I wanted to prove myself. I always wanted to prove myself. I don't mind that. And again, I know in my mind, this is like, I'm successful. I did all these things, but I still have this tormenting, these feelings that I just need to, that's why, that's why I'm going, look, I, I'm thankful. I'm grateful every day. I'm like, dude, you got a nice house. You got great friends. You have people who care about you. You have two beautiful dogs. You got uh, rain came over today. I'm yeah. grateful for you being here. Mia's here. Mia is awesome. Uh, she just came out as a trans woman, right, Mia? Mm-hmm. It's you know, and she, congratulations. And she felt Mia. like she can confide in me, and we we she we hugged yesterday. And oh, that's great. Oh, this is recent. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, this is very recent. Oh, great. And I just felt like you know, like I am grateful for the things in my life. I am just trying to uh, be a better me and feel better. I just want to. I just want to like acknowledge these things happened and able to. I think what it mostly is is managing stress. I am so hard on myself. And I think that worked like as a, as a child, it worked as a, as in college, you could yeah. deal with the fatigue and you could deal with all these things cause you're young. But again, and you know who said this to me, this is Dolph Lundgren was here. <laughs> okay, this, <laughs> it's getting weirder. That's the weirdest Hollywood transition. <laughs> you know who gave me these life changing words of wisdom? Dolph Lundgren. If he <laughs> dies, he dies. But you know what he said to me? He says, you know, when you're younger, you could deal with it. And then when you get older, that same shit that you've been doing, it doesn't fly. You can't handle stress like that. You've got to change their ways. Yeah. Old habits must be broken. Must be broken. Mm-hmm. But they seriously, he was he's really bright. He's a chemical engineer. He was a chemical engineer. Yeah. So it's amazing how like you get little morsels from each person you talk to. Yeah. And I just I understand that. It's like, you know what? Let's break the habits. Let's break the things. Let's get more structure in your life. Let's think positively. Yeah. Let's forget about all this stuff. Let's let's if you fail, you fail. If you it, it's okay to fail. I can't be perfect. Were you ever are you still extremely hard on yourself? Even when you're doing the office? Yeah. Did you like going, I have to step it up or a hit show. I have to be funny. I have to be this. Were you hard after the show? Yeah. You know, I've, I've gotten so much better in the last four or five years. Like I've really made big strides, um, in a lot of ways. I used to be really career obsessed 
Uh, and you know what that's like in, in, in this world of just constant comparing myself to others and like, why is he in that movie? And I'm not. And, and I was, when I was on the office, like it was all about like, how do I leverage Dwight to get more movie roles and to get greater stardom? And, um, and, and so it was really just hard on myself and and really kind of had OCD about, about that, you know, uh, filming, uh, that in my head and going over it, over it again. And now I've really, I really let that go. How, how? Well, it's a lot of, it's been this therapy work, you know, and, you know, just work with my wife. She's been really supportive about it and real, you know, as I've kind of loved myself more, I think going more into spirituality has allowed me to love myself more so that I'm not, I am not my job. I am not my success. My self-esteem is not, it's certainly linked to success and in my work, but my, I am not my work. I am not how successful my work is going. Um, so I don't need that anymore, but it used to be that way. It used to be that way. And it kind of made me an asshole. You know, you were an asshole. I wouldn't say, I don't think if you talk to the office cast, they would be like, Oh, rain was an asshole. I think people, we all get along and good, but I could be an asshole. Yeah. I would, I could be pretty narcissistic and self-centered and yeah, they, they had some, I had some rough years in there. I mean, were you aware of it? You were like, did you go home and say, God, I'm an asshole. Like I, 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 no. I treat, or was that not apparent? I, it wasn't apparent to me. It was apparent to my wife. <laughs> she was like, you're an asshole, right? <laughs> She's like, would she say that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But she, she really helped keep me grounded too. So. You don't seem like someone. And I think I've gone through phases where people, you know, I, you know, I, I might've been difficult at one point in my life for a little while yeah. or something, or, you know, people thought I had an ego, which I think we all do, but was there any moments on set? Were there any moments where you're just no, like, I, I wasn't any that... Christian Bale moments. <laughs> I wasn't that kind of an asshole. I wasn't having like tantrums on set and being really difficult. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find people who say, oh, I worked with Rain Wilson and he was a dick. Because <laughs> also because I'm such a people pleaser. So I, I always know. want people to like me, you know. How so do, how do we get rid of that? On. That's oh. all I, you know, is, that's a problem. You put that guy in the chair who's the people pleaser. <laughs> have that conversation with your inner people pleaser. What, it, what does he need? You know, how do you not get victimized by that voice in your head? Yeah. You know, anytime you go to the ego and the self and you become obsessed with ego and self, like you're just not that pleasant to be around. And there was definitely several years in there, you know, some rough patches in our marriage and stuff like that, where I was not a fun guy to be married to because I was only thinking about myself. But you stuck with it and she we, stuck with you. More we, importantly. we stuck with it. We've worked hard. We've done therapy. We've, <laughs> we've been through a lot. It's amazing. I'd love to get to that place where I my work isn't me at all. But I don't think it'll ever be at all. I just think it won't have such a hold on on you. Do you know what I mean? Like I always like if I get cast in some movie or something, like I get a boost in self esteem, and there's something natural about that. You feel good when you're working and you're desired, and you, people want to collaborate with you. And you, there's nothing wrong with that. But that needs to just be at a right sized level, Michael. Right. Like, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do my job the best that I can. I'm going to have fun on set, be pleasant. And then when I come home, I'm going to be rain. It's it's time for me time. It's not work time anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Separating that's probably not easy. Yeah, but uh, I, I've gotten better. So that's it. And that's been it's been it's been really nice. So there's hope. You've uh, Would you say you've had a midlife crisis at all? Like at, at some point, did you have that? Like, like maybe maybe that's what I'm having. <laughs> maybe, maybe, that, maybe what you're in. I, I don't know. I don't know, but something happened in the last two years where I'm just um, different, but my eyes are opening and I'm starting to reevaluate 
old habits and mm-hmm. ways and things and going, I can't maintain this for 30 more years. I need to make some changes. I don't like me a lot of times. Mm. I don't, even though I'm a, I really feel like I'm a good person and people go, what are you talking about? I'm char- I am charitable. I am, you know, I, I do think of others, but I just, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that I just go, you, you have got to stop worrying about that. You've got to stop obsessing. You cannot always be on and great and please everyone all the time. Yeah. You just can't. You just I cannot maintain it. This I was it wasn't like I go, I'm gonna do this. This was like my body going, go to the East Coast. <laughs> go to this place. <laughs> go to you this place. You have to go. You have no choice. You're going. Mm-hmm. Here you are. We're by we're white. Oh my God, your 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 hands are your fingers are typing. Oh my God. This is uh what's it uh, kayak.com. Now you're You've got plane tickets. I got plane tickets and I'm going. And I'm, my friends are What's like, What's your podcast going to be like after you go to this place? You're right. going to be like so zen. I don't know. I, who knows what I'll be like? <laughs> but you know, I think, you know, what, what's what the, the hardest thing is, I even said, I sent an email to close friends saying, Hey, I'm going to be fine. I'm great. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic, as far as I know. Um, I'm going to this place to clear my head. I'm going to this place to be a better me, to be a better friend, to be a better. And I, and I not that I'm a bad friend. I think I'm a great friend, but just to be a better all around. What's weird is some people were so shocked. My father, I actually emailed. I just told him. I just was brief about it. He goes, wow, this is a, a, a surprise. Um, good luck. That's it. And we haven't talked about it since. And my friend, uh, one of my good buddies, Harlan. I'm surprised your dad didn't go like, oh, you couldn't afford the Meadows? <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I think he's so such a I you know what's weird is he's so like old school strong and this and I I don't need therapy and I don't need this. That's why when you say your dad got into therapy and your mom got into therapy, I could be the only person in the world that that because that's how I feel, Rain. There's no fucking way that those two would go into real therapy. There's no way my father would be open and vulnerable and loving and crying and fuck off that would never happen the fact that you can do that with your parents and i hear it all the time is oh my dad went with me to this my dad and i did lsd together my dad never that (laughs) will never happen i I, I can't but i think like a lot of what you're talking about michael I, i i truly believe that some of the answers to what you might be looking for are spiritual and i'm not trying to get all new agey and i'm not trying to get i'm not trying to convert you to any religion but just like Med- do you do meditation? I was, and then I, I sort of stopped. Yeah, because I've found meditation to be profoundly helpful in so many ways. Guided or just by yourself, yeah, your own either, thoughts. Either, either you know anything, TM, whatever works for you. There's great apps and guided meditations. You can just be still. You can walk in nature and meditate. Whatever it is that to to slow the mind to realize that um, we're not our minds. Um, that we're not our thoughts, we're not our judgments, that isn't the reality of who we are, that if you read spiritual writings, it always guides you, no matter what, you're Christian or Jewish or whatever, Buddhist, uh, Baha'i, whatever, that we are, we are souls, you know, living in our bodies for a brief period of time, and our souls are growing and developing. This shifts our perspective, and like, oh, I'm a soul, you know, I'm a, you know, as a pair Tehart de Chardin, it's a tough name to get, says, I'm not a human being having a spiritual experience. I am a spiritual being having a human experience. So I love that. Like, 
I'm a, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. Anything I can read, I read Buddhist writings, or I subscribe to this guy, Jeff Kober, Jeff Kober meditation. He does these daily emails. He's great. Uh, you do this every teacher. day? I won't say every day, but five days a week, at least sometimes twice a day. So like, give me like a, a, a sort of an idea of like what you'll do on these five days or certain days. Do you like you wake up immediately meditate before you do anything? No, I'm not that disciplined. I, I, it de- you know, it depends. A lot of times I drive my kid to school. So if I drive Walter to school and I kiss my wife and we have some coffee and we, we check in, maybe we'll even walk the dog. Then I'll go to my office and I will, I will sit down in my orange chair and I have some prayer beads and I do some meditation and I, and I'll, I'll set a timer for 15 minutes and I'll, I'll do some prayer and meditation and just be really, really still. Sometimes I'll do some journaling work and then I'm like a new man after that. But I always say like, I need that to get to normal. Cause I'm, I'm like spun out like this, yeah, like kind of that's the same how way I you am. are, yeah. but meditation exercise also helps a lot, but meditation and prayer and this kind of spiritual work, reading spiritual writings, um, brings me to a kind of a level of normalcy of, um, oh, now I can kind of function. So then I get to just be like a regular person. So I kind of need it. I could see how happy you get when you, just by talking about this, you just had this, I don't know whether it's spiritual, whatever you just, there was a glow to you talking about it. Like I do this and I become, and you just had this smile on your face. Like you were almost lost and like, yeah, this is, this is what helps. But I think there's tools there. You know, I think there's two, we're living in an age right now where spirituality is, well, first of all, because a lot of it is spirituality. What does that mean? Does that mean ghosts? You know, does that mean a yoga class? Does that mean crystals? Does that mean going to church? Does that mean we're in such a bifurcated society of like born agains on one side of the aisle and like secular city people on the other and neither trust each other. And, you know, what does that mean? You know, red state, blue state, you know, what does spirituality mean? But just looking through the world's religions and belief systems, there are tools that help make your life richer, deeper, more meaningful, and allow you a greater focus and creativity and allow more kind of love and purpose understanding in your life. So there, there's like a toolkit. It's literally like, you know, a pliers and a wrench and this and that. And, and these are some of those tools. This has been a, tremendous for me. I hope for you. <laughs> what, what was it like playing Dwight? I'll tell you. No, no, you know, no. I mean, people know kidding. you've done these a million times. You've, you've, how many times can you talk about Dwight? I mean, look, you won three Emmys, didn't you? I got nominated. You asshole. Oh, yeah. You, I, I got nominated. Hey, I've never been nominated for an Emmy. I think yeah. I won, I think I won a, a Saturn Award, a Uranus, Congratulations. A Uranus Award. Okay. No, but I was, hey, it was great. I posed with Steven Spielberg at the time. Hey. We both held our award up. I go, hey, if this is good enough for Steven Spielberg, it's good so enough for you. Good there enough you for go. me. I mean, good. look. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding about the Dwight thing. What were you going to ask? You were going to ask something profound. No, I mean, it, it was, definitely wasn't going to be profound. But like having like the, the spiritual toolkit. Look, you became an actor. Something you, your father was like, eh, I don't want you to really kind of. You're doing that. Then you figured out why when you were like 19, your mom told you she had an affair with the theater guy. So then you became an actor, and then you had huge success late in my career. How old were you when you had the big success? I was you, almost 40 by the time The Office was on. Yeah, because you you had done like things like One Life to Live. Yeah, you had done like Charmed, CSI. And yeah. So you you weren't rich at all no not you at, had no money not at all a few i would say a few months i thought you're gonna say a few dollars a, a few, few dollars 
maybe a year before the office, my wife and I were paying the rent using little checks that came in our credit card statement where you could write a check and it would go onto your credit card. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to pay my credit card bill with my credit card. I had to pay a hundred and I would take a hundred and I, I, I'd send them (laughs) a check. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that. Those are the days. I, I remember the pitiful look of my landlord. Like he was Austrian. He was, his name was Boris. He's like, do you really want to do this, Rain? He would look at the check from like Citibank credit card and it would be like $1,400 rent. He's like, really? It's a bad idea. He cared about you. Yeah. He liked you. Did you ever go say hi to him? He ended up being an asshole. So He did? Yeah, I'm sorry. Boris. Yeah. Jeez. Boris Are you Austrian. sure you want to pay rent with this? Yeah. This is your pay. You're not. This isn't health. No, because then he basically evicted us with no notice because him and his girlfriend broke up and the girlfriend wanted to move into the house. And and he was like, you've got to you've got to be out in six weeks. It's like, what? And then we found out from the city. Oh, if he's evicting you in order to put a co-owner into the place, they that they owe you a fee. So I went to Boris and I was like, you have to pay me two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars or whatever, because you and your girlfriend, Linda, both own the properties. And so and because that's then you have to pay me a relocation fee. And he was furious and he had meetings with us, like trying to get out of it. And I was like, dude, it's just the law. It's just the law. So he paid you. He had to. It was the law. <laughs> it was the law. So 40 years old, that's amazing because Yeah, it was thir- I, I think 38 when the office was on, maybe 37 and, when I was and shooting. They probably it. paid you as little as they could the first seasons because they're like, he's not anybody. I I pay I got paid a little bit more than John and Jenna because uh, eventually we all made the same. Bigger part. Well, and I had had I had done some pilots, and I had been on Six Feet Under, right? Six Feet so, Under. So, uh, as the intern, that yes, oh, yes, nice. and Arthur, and then that that raised my status a little bit, so my agents were able to give me a little bit more, but I didn't make a ton of money those first seasons. Was it extraordinary though, being on that show, especially in the first season, where you just was it so much excitement, so much, or was there pressure? Did you did you love going to set? We loved it. I mean, it's such a boring story, but we fucking loved it. It was great. Did you improvise all the time? Here's the deal with improvisation. People ask us a lot. Listen, the if the script is great, you don't need to improvise. You know, if if Greg right. Daniels has written an amazing script, you can try and improvise. It's not going to be any funnier than what's on the page. You know what I mean? So we improvise sometimes, yeah, and sometimes to help scenes and the bridge scenes and and just for fun. And they really let us do that. Who broke the most? Who laughed the most? Who could not handle it? Who did you, and who did you find, honestly, the funniest? Who made you fucking go, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't? Uh, I would say Brian Baumgartner, who played Kevin, broke the most. Uh, he would laugh at, at a, you know, you could just kind of like twitch your nostril at him and he would just start to break. Did you hate it? Because it ruined a good take? Yeah, but then he and he would also like blame it. Like I would like twitch my nostril at him and he would start to laugh and he'd go, Rain, Rain, he he did it. He made me laugh. Um, and you're like, no, I didn't. But John and I would always make each other laugh. Like there was something about when we would improvise, like if one would start to go, the other would go and we would just be useless. We would just be lost. But, you know, we, we were shooting. I remember this director came on set and every, we were like hugging each other and high-fiving, joking around and watching YouTube videos and just having a great time. And then, and, and this director was like, Oh my God, he goes, you have no idea. This is not how sets are. He goes, you are so spoiled. This is nothing get, is better than this. You'll never have a job better than this. And it's true. Cause there, it's, it's an incredible camaraderie and love that was, that was there. And also how many years? Nine. 
you know, and it's and and I hate this because even even when I did a, a show for seven years, you're going from something that's so big, something that's so like universal, and people are like, well, what's next? What what is he doing? What? How could you possibly beat the biggest TV show on earth, The Office? There's no way to go up. It's almost impossible for you to go any higher than The Office. Maybe you will. You're hilarious. You're talented. But it's like, you, if you have those expectations, like, oh, it's not as good as The Office. It's not as good as Smallville. It's not as good as and The yeah. Office. You yeah. know, then you're just, I mean, that's, you need help. It's tough. Yeah, it's really tough because right after The Office, I did this show Backstrom on Fox. I got canceled. After 13 episodes and, you know, all of us like, oh, that's it. Rain Wilson sunk. You know, he tried his other TV show. Were, were you heartbroken by that? In some ways I was. Um, in some ways I was kind of relieved. It was so hard. It was like. Yeah, one um, hour. Lead of a one hour show. I mean, you're Not working fun. 14, 15 hours a day and just working Friday nights till, you know, 5 a.m. And. Just it was backbreaking, exhausting work. Is that when the real therapy, the the work you do with yourself with the meditation and stuff, you have to do that? Like if you don't do that, are you fucked? Yeah, you're really screwed, especially on, under that kind of stress. Yeah. Were you were your pressure. stress levels really high? Yeah. It was it was rough, but I was meditating then and you know, doing what I could to to stay grounded. Yeah. Were they ever like, God, Rain looks really tired today? <laughs> oh, yeah. I look tired every day. I was so beat. It's like, do you, do you, do you worry about those things? Do you worry about how you're going to look on film? Do you worry about how you like, because a lot of actors like, you know, I think it's everybody. It's like, you want to look the best you can. You want them to light you a certain way. I guess I've always been so weird looking that I've always like, I'm, it's never really bothered me. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm schlubby. I'm overweight or I look haggard or whatever. I don't have that much. I don't have that much vanity around that. That's probably a relief in a way that you just don't feel that way. Because um, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, is this good? Is this single better on me? Where you don't think about yeah, that. You just do the work. Yeah, I've worked with actors that are, that. that's that's a... That, that, Does it bother you? It bothers me a little bit, but I also just feel bad for them. Like, oh, wow. They're so connected to how they look and how they're perceived externally. Ugh. Because the reality is this. If the show and all the crew and they're filming you and the director and the producers are right behind there, it's their job to make you look good. If you're worrying about it, you they should be worrying yeah. about it. Hey, let's get a little let's put a kino. It's called a kino over over <laughs> yeah, rain. Yeah, yeah. Let's do this. They can fix all that in post anyway. Oh you yeah. Know? So can they? But the other thing is <laughs> well, a little bit. The the other thing is weird is like on social media, like I have a beard now and it's pretty gray. And it's like, I'm fifty three. I look pretty fucking great for 53. Yeah. But like online, everyone's like, oh, it's old. Dwight's got old. Dwight's old. Old Dwight is old. What Dwight. the fuck's wrong like, with people? Guys, I'm we 53. Were, I was shooting The Office in 2004. You know, like 15 years ago is when we that, started I know. it. I know. It's like, I'm older than than that. Look what babies they were. They, they do that. I've, I've read that where it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Look at Lex Luthor now. I'm like, I was 26 when I started the show. That yeah. was 20 years ago, and I look pretty goddamn good. You do. <laughs> well, you look great. You really oh, look great. And wow. fuck the grays. I'm getting grays in my beard. Yeah. I got grays. What are you gonna do? Look, this is this is enough. This is more than enough for me. I I, I feel like I could just talk to you forever because we don't really know each other. We met through no. James Gunn yep. at a party, and you play tennis. Yeah. And I have you know I, I once my uh I, I joined the Mahal Tennis Club recently. Okay. 
So uh, we should play tennis. We absolutely should do that. I, w- I would Can love that. Can you play? That. You have a titanium spine. Um, you know what's funny is I haven't lost any um, mobility. Um, and in about two months or a month and a half, I could start playing tennis. After oh. the, I go away, I come back. I can we're pretty much do play tennis. Yes. and We uh, got a text chain going now, so we're, we're good. Yeah. No, this was a real pleasure, too. Like, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I've always liked your acting a great deal. Met you through James Gunn. And I was like, oh, that's a, just an interesting, cool offbeat guy and i'm so glad that we're getting to know each other you didn't realize i was as troubled did you i didn't know that you were as deeply troubled no i did not know that i was hoping you would have said neither did america troubled. neither did america See, I, was, <laughs> I was hoping you'd say you're not that troubled yeah. but you didn't you, went you with please, that. Wow, i did not know will that. you please do your podcast from rehab <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm with my mia. psychiatrist today. mia will you go with him <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I really want to fly out to the East Coast. Could you imagine? That actually would be really interesting. Day one, yep. this is Michael. Um, hey, um, so I'm here. I just they would met be with like, it. "You're such a narcissist. You need to put the microphone away." Of course, that would. That's the opposite yeah, of what you opposite. want in there. Yeah. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of you. Thanks for being deep inside of me. Hmm, deep. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.